Welcome to Unpack That. This is Julie Richards, one of your hosts from Community Roots. And Unpack That is a segment that we sit down with a book that I've been learning from and I just share with you all so you can grab your tea or coffee or chai or something wonderful and just take in some of the wonderful learnings from the book that we're going to be talking about today. The The book I've chosen to share is one that I just finished this week and I have really sat with and um, embodied this book uh, with a colleague of mine that has been just a very rich and wonderful experience. The book is called The Heart of Trauma, Healing the Embodied Brain in the Context of Relationships by Bonnie Badenoch. Bonnie has a way of having tremendous understanding about the brain and teaching the neuroscience of it. At the same time, bringing it into an experiential, deep, heartfelt knowing that it is absolutely transformative and breathtaking. This piece of work is astounding to me, to be honest. Um, I've had the opportunity to sit under Bonnie's teaching in multiple different contexts. Um, None of them have been in person, which I would love to have that experience to sit down with Bonnie. But um, I have taken in some of her teachings during the pandemic that she did through Zoom that were about racial um, learning about how to be more inclusive in our relationships um, across systemic racism and learning and growing and becoming more embodied in, in welcoming of others and their experiences. I've also taken in, um, a couple podcasts that she has done with Robin Goebel and Lisa Dion that um, were wonderful to heal, hear her heart um, kind of in that live setting as well. And then um, I have a training of hers that I've been working on where you can have handouts and um, different art pieces that she shows you pictures of and journal um assignments and things to be able to work with the text that is tremendous and wonderful. Um, I recently downloaded the Audible book of being a brainwise therapist, which is fun to hear her teaching. But this particular book, um, The Heart of Trauma, that I just finished this week, is really powerful. It is what she recommends doing is reading with someone so that you can talk about, share together um, what you're learning. And throughout the book, she has these gray boxes that she calls um, pause for reflection. And during that time, we're actually practicing listening to our body and taking in noticing whatever's coming up for us, whether it's um, little implicit or unconscious things that we weren't quite aware of before. But she has us checking in with our muscles, our belly, our heart, our eyes, our breath. These are things that no one really ever taught me to do before. And it's just been a wonderful exploration of 
the neuroscience in the brain that I have no idea how Bonnie managed to learn so much about the brain. It is mind boggling to me. Um, but then also weaving together with it a very relational um, presence of just sitting with and understanding and the way she puts words together are absolutely beautiful. And so I'm going to go through a little bit of this book with you. I've got all kinds of tabs saved, um, kind of bookmarking where I can share. And the, the book is set up where the first half of the book is going through these various parts of our bodies, our embodied relational brains and how they develop in trauma and healing. So she goes through the skin, the muscles, the autonomic nervous system, the eyes, the ears and vocal cords, the belly brain, the heart brain, the brain stem, the midbrain, the limbic neocortex. And then in and then she goes into kind of how we attend to um, this brain and body of ours. And she teaches us about um, inherent wisdom that we all have in our bodies and brains and implicit memory and how that's formed. She talks about things like co-regulation and um, co-attaching and learning about implicit memory. I'm sure even hearing these titles of the chapters just kind of... Uh, blow our minds a little bit, but all part two of the book is on this nourishing accompaniment is what she calls it. And she had this really creative way that she described in the introduction of the book to read a chapter from part one, kind of back and forth with the second half of the book. And so getting a little bit of um, a taste of one part of our body, like the skin or the eyes or the ears or the belly, and then kind of flipping halfway through to the second section of the book where we can learn things like our inherent wisdom or implicit memory or co-regulation or things like that. And so it was really nice. It gave me a little bit of a break from learning just the intense content about the brain, which is fascinating, but also, uh, mind-boggling, which I think that's part of the experience, honestly, to be able to say, wow, are we amazing creatures and complex human beings, and we are wonderfully made. So, um, but being able to interweave that with, okay, what does this mean in how we relate to each other, and how do we heal, and how do we be with another person? Um, it's just a, a beautiful experience to, um, to go through this book. So I'm going to highlight some various things and you can sit back and relax and take in what you're able today. Um, going back to the, uh, preface, we'll start at the very beginning. Um, she says we are continually making implicit memories because they do not require conscious attention to be encoded. They stay with us as surges of feeling, behavioral impulses, bodily sensations, and perceptions that when reawakened color everything because implicit memories have the felt sense of happening now. 
we encode 11 million bits of sensory information per second implicitly, while encoding 6 to 50 bits consciously or explicitly. This suggests that many more of these embodied experiences are taking up residence within us than explicit memories, almost entirely below the level of conscious awareness, yet influencing everything we think, feel, say, and do. So sit with those numbers for just a moment with me. Can you even imagine or attempt to fathom that there are 11 million bits of information that come in to us implicitly every second. All this sensory information is being encoded every second, 11 million bits. And compare that with the 6 to 50 bits that are actually conscious, explicit amounts of information that come in. So right away from the beginning, we can get curious about what is all of this that we are able to take in on levels that we can hardly even fathom or even attempt to understand. So she relates all of this very much as in the title talks about healing the embodied brain in the context of relationships, that it is so important for us to get to know ourselves and to be able to sit with each other as human beings that are wanting to be a safe support for each other, who want to be um, part of the healing in another person's life and not someone who's causing more harm or more injury. She says that the deepening that may happen when we are heard is one of the central themes of this book, the deepening that happens when we are heard. So this idea is so important in relationships that we are learning how to hear each other and not just hear each other, but also to listen and to take in what our own body is noticing. Our mind, our heart, our sensations, um, our emotions, all of these things that are right brain and felt sense, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here. She talks about um, some would say that witnessing trauma can be more harmful than enduring the experience itself because of the acute helplessness we feel, because we absorb so much more implicit information than explicit, much of the time our bodies may be the only witness to this outpouring of suffering. In response, many of our systems, largely below conscious awareness, have adaptively found ways to not feel so much. So in the midst of all this trauma that is around us, painful experiences that people go through on a day-in, day-out basis, because we're absorbing so much, she's saying that so often our bodies witness the suffering and in turn, basically because it comes in through so much unconscious awareness, we adapt by finding ways to not feel. And of course, if we want to be fully alive, if we want to be able to make more of the unconscious conscious, we want to consider 
What are the ways to become more aware, to be better listeners? Um, she talks about uh, we are built to seek out, enter, and sustain warm relationships, which allows us to support the emergence of a humane world. At the most basic and pervasive level, we shape one another's embodied brains from pre-birth to death. Our nervous systems continually ask this question, are you with me? The answer is yes, when we are present and available to one another without judgments or agenda in that moment. True safety, true presence, true listening. Can you imagine being able to offer that to someone or being able to receive that from someone? How very healing that can be. The right hemisphere of our brain orients us toward the space between the relational space as it is unfolding moment to moment. So as we start to think in terms of what's going on in our left brain, what's going on in our right brain, you may have listened recently to uh, Samuel and I on Off the Beaten Path with um, Rotem Brayer and talking about right brain to right brain connection, which I got so much um, beautiful understanding of that in this book from Bonnie Badnock. Um, we're going to really notice what's going on in that right brain that helps us to orient to the space between ourselves and someone else. It's the relational space as it's unfolding moment to moment. And Alan Shore talks about that right brain to right brain connection. So I thought this was interesting. She talks about what being present is like in the context of culture and the push of the culture at large and the therapeutic culture in particular leaves us vulnerable to quickly, almost helplessly switching into thinking about next steps, figuring out what's going on, deciding how to use interventions educating, and making treatment plans and goals, even in the midst of our heart's pool toward just being present and waiting to see what wants to unfold. So therapists feel this pressure. Clients often, she says, come in expecting us to provide solutions, tools, and quick symptom and behavior relief because they've been led to believe that this is the desired pattern of healing in this left-centric world. So how different to consider that maybe we're not here to offer quick solutions and to solve something as if it's a problem. Maybe it's more in the getting to know in the relational space and being safe enough to be heard and listened to and understood. She talks about trauma itself as an embodied experience, touching all the neural pathways in our body. In addition to being an embodied experience, trauma is also a relational experience. In that the embedding of trauma may arise not primarily from the nature of events, but from who is with us before, during, 
and after the overwhelming happening or non-happening in the case of neglect. So it's so important. We think in terms of events being traumatic, and they are. But what is most important in that is what kind of support did a person have before, during, and after? Either what happened or possibly what didn't happen that needed to be there, like support or someone who could be coming alongside and accompanying us. She says, we all ache to be heard and held in the reality of our experience without judgment or any impulse toward fixing. Memory reconsolidation research has shown that for the felt sense and implicit pattern to change, we need to not only be in touch with the embedded trauma, but simultaneously in the presence of what has been called a disconfirming experience. Most often, what was needed at the time of the potential trauma, but not available. So if we felt alone, we needed a sense of accompaniment. If we were frightened, we needed protection. If we were shamed, we needed acceptance. If we were hurt, we needed comfort. It's as though the part of us who experienced the original rupture of safety has been waiting ever since for the repair to arrive. So there's this idea of these implicit arisings, these unconscious layers that are continually bubbling up and coming to the surface. And they're trying to see, is this a chance? Is this one of the moments that I could find some healing? Could I find someone who would be willing to lean in with me and be present with me in my suffering? That's the essence of what is continually going on in our nervous system, in our implicit and unconscious kind of buried parts of memory. It's always looking to bubble up so that it can be resolved. She gives us a a definition of trauma as being any experience of fear and or pain that doesn't have the support it needs to be digested and integrated into the flow of our developing brains. I'll read that one more time because a a good definition of trauma is so important. Any experience of fear and or pain that doesn't have the support it needs to be digested and integrated into the flow of our developing brains. So if we reflect on our last 24 hours, have there been moments containing some shade of pain or fear that still feels present when we call them to mind and body? That's a good reflection question for us to kind of pause with to do a check-in with ourselves of, is there anything that's still kind of festering um, from the last day, the last week even, the last few days, something that you can pause and do a check-in with yourself to see the impact that things had on you and just kind of allow anything that needs to bubble up that might need some more time and attention. It might come in those um, emotions of fear or pain. Those are things that we might notice. She says the essence of trauma isn't events, 
but aloneness within them. Who we perceive as being with us before, during, and after an event is central to our ability to integrate the trauma throughout our embodied and relational brains. Who is it that is with you? As we just notice that, as we're sitting with this book, and Bonnie's so good to offer these moments for reflection. But maybe as you're listening to me reading some of these quotes from her book, you might sit with, do I have someone? Who is it that is with me? Who would be able to provide safety for me to be able to pause and reflect and to notice what's coming up for me that I don't have to be alone in that, that I could be accompanied. It's quite, it's quite beautiful and quite amazing. And I get that it is also uh, sometimes scary and vulnerable and risky and not something that's very common in our culture. She talks about um, a Zulu greeting that is very common um, in some indigenous cultures. A phrase that means, I see you, and the response is, I am here. Imagine a greeting like that. A greeting that says, I see you, and someone responding, I am here. The intention is to pause and look with deep eyes to recognize and reflect the humanity of the other person. Because to be unseen is to fall out of existence in some important way. Who you see me to be calls forth that aspect of me. So it's so important that we have mirrors for one another that that show that the other person that we are with really matters. We get that in that feeling of um, mattering in the context of relationships. Um, The skin chapter, I just want to point out a couple little things um, that I found really interesting that you can kind of have a tidbit of knowledge. She talks about our skin being a portal to the brain, and she calls it the external nervous system. Isn't that amazing that um, our skin has its own kind of mind and brain about it? There's a centrality of skin and touch to our way of perceiving the world. Like when we touch things, the way we perceive things. Um, We say descriptions and relationships like I'm touched by your concern. Or I like the feeling of our togetherness. I know that's not a phrase that we would normally say, but I just thought it was quite um, quite lovely in the way it was worded. I like the feeling of our togetherness. You are a warm person. So this is the largest organ of the body, and it continually makes its presence felt. It envelops us, protects us, provides immune support. It offers ongoing streams of current information about the quality and meaning of contact with the brain above. Our skin has neural receptors that respond to touch and bring the outside world inside, sending streams of information inward along the channels of the central nervous system. These receptors sense pain, pressure, temperature, and vibration. 
And as we're now also discovering the emotional quality of contact. What kind of contact do we have with each other? Touch is a primary nourishment and a vital resource in healing from trauma. This is something cool that she um, wrote about that as we practice with kind of checking in, that the more that we pause to kind of practice, she said, some people begin to do this practice every day, morning and evening, since it takes less than two minutes most of the time. And they sense, they, the people report a sense of ease and growing trust in their body's wisdom. So can you imagine just pausing for a moment and being able to consider what is my body telling me and having a ritual a little bit, a, a practice every day, morning, evening, just for less than two minutes could change our awareness of what's happening unconsciously and implicitly. Um, in the chapter about the eyes, she says, there is a tenderness in gazing into one another's soft eyes that offers a unique sense of being known and held. In our belly brain, this is something that we talked about in Off the Beaten Path with Shane Ray Martin. Um, I thought this was fascinating that in our bellies, we have 100 to 600 million neurons in our gut. If you compare that to in our heart, we have 40,000 neurons in our heart. So 100 to 600 million neurons, those are brain cells that are in our stomachs, in our guts, compared to 40,000 in our heart found that really interesting. This chapter has a lot on the impact of relationship on food and our immune system and being able to take in nutrients um, is all related to the relational context, um, how safe we feel in the room and in, with people that we are um, in relationship with around us. Then she talks about a concept that I've really loved, which is asking right brain kind of questions. She says, um, we, we might begin by dropping a question into our right hemisphere about what our inner world may be ready to share in this moment. When we do this kind of asking, it feels different than when we are actively searching for an answer. Instead of digging through what we already cognitively know, we pause and listen with as little expectation as possible. The response often arrives first in our bodies, sensations in the belly, heart, muscles, or the movement of the breath, and may also come as a wave of emotion, a symbolic image, a memory, a shift in perception, or an intuitive knowing. Sometimes there seems to be no response at all. That is likely our system's way of letting us know that this isn't the time for this particular exploration. If a response comes, 
it may be possible to just sit with it for a bit without needing it to be more clear or specific than it is. Often there will be a gradual unfolding over the minutes and months ahead. So I love that we can practice this idea of dropping in a right brain kind of question, something that we're curious about, that we're not looking for a quick fix it kind of answer. We're not looking for a solution. Um, Our right brain is just relationally sitting with what's evolving and what's spontaneously coming up in the moment. I think that is so cool that we can stay open and curious and receptive, almost like we're sitting in front of a jigsaw puzzle and looking at the different pieces and trying to take in where might this fit or what's this about? And we're allowing it to take some time to just slow us down and um, give us some, some room, creating some space to just explore something. Okay, so I wanted to give a a little bit of understanding. We've talked about it uh, multiple times, but just to give some clarity to the left brain and the right brain. Um, If our words center around grasping, creating, using, knowing, efficiency, step-by-step procedures, problem-solving, interventions, tools... Um, then we're likely attending most, mostly from a left hemisphere that is without the support of the right's perspective. So there's often a sense of judgment and certainty and intention to guide, shape, or control another. The left hemisphere has a tendency toward either or, good, bad, There's often the sense of preference or wanting to get rid of something in favor of something else. So, for example, getting rid of sadness in favor of happiness or peace. All of that is left-brained. On the other hand, if we're speaking words that convey attunement to the process unfolding in this moment, a felt sense of receiving, cultivating, believing, supporting, and trusting, we are more apt to be attending from the right with support from the left. This way of experiencing may also be coupled with attention to felt sense, comfort with being rather than pressure to do, the rise and fall of healing that unfolds naturally in the space between. When we're in this mode, we have a tendency to speak more tentatively and to check in with our relational partner about he or she, how they are receiving what we are offering. This last part is particularly important as it reflects our growing felt sense awareness that the system of the person we are helping knows more about what needs to happen next than we do. In addition to the humility and respect this engenders, we may also notice that instead of wanting to get rid of some state, we are more apt to acknowledge its meaningfulness and be present to it just as it is. Listening in this way, the so-called negative state may reveal itself as telling an important truth and become an opening toward healing. So we can think in understand with our left brain and have some context and some foundation so it's important we need that left brain we're not trying to 
say the left brain is a bad thing by any means. We absolutely need that. But it can inform and speak to um, what's happening in the moment in the right brain. She says we can look at an out of proportion response to what is happening in the moment is actually exactly in proportion to what is unfolding internally. If we sense this so deeply that this knowing is viscerally available when someone is having strong emotional experiences, we'll be able to offer them acknowledgement of the validity of their experience rather than needing to control or change it. So that's saying a lot, and it might be hard to follow along without seeing it in front of you. But basically, we've all been around um, when there's been a strong response to something, and we wonder, where on earth did that come from? And what this is saying is that we can be more available to someone having these strong emotions if we can acknowledge that this there's something in their experience that is happening that they're letting us know about. We don't have to control it. We don't have to change it. We're there to be present with them in it. And it and it comes back to that idea that we said earlier, like, are you with me? And making sure from that other person to check in with them, like, can you feel me here with you? Do you know that I'm with you in this and that you're not walking this alone? Can you imagine if we could do that for each other in our culture today? That would be so amazing. We would be so much helping each other heal and grow. She has some some questions that I think would be so insightful to be able to reflect on, maybe in some journaling if you're interested in looking for how to heal some of our relational history Um, and trying to look for places where there might have been some of that pain or fear that we talked about at the beginning. And so early in life, who comforted you? Who kept you safe? Who was distant? Who needed you to regulate them? Who felt dangerous? Who brought confusion or chaos? Who criticized And who was accepting? We might quickly discover that one person brought contradictory experiences. The confusing one also comforted. Or the dangerous one at home was a primary support of safety in the outside world. All of this helps us begin to feel into the qualities of relatedness that we've taken in. So reflecting on what kinds of relationships have we had in our life how have they impacted us? And they have so many dimensions to them, as, as she describes there in that list of questions, that y- you might want to take a little bit of journal reflection time to look at those. Who comforted you? Who kept you safe? Who was distant? Who needed you to regulate them? Who felt dangerous? Who brought confusion or chaos? Who criticized and who was accepting? Noting that a lot of those might be the same person at different times. So that makes the complexity even more dynamic. Well, as we wrap this up, I'm just going to go ahead and read the last paragraph of the book as it kind of brings a sense of closure to us in our time together. She said, I have other stories just as mysterious, just as beautiful, just as sacred. 
But it seems good to stop here and wonder if it's possible for us to begin to let go of our expectations about the shape in which healing may arrive, to trust the treatment plan lying dormant and waiting within our people, to cultivate a gradually gathering stillness so that in the safety of the space between, healing pathways have the possibility of revealing themselves. So there's continually on the forefront of our minds the idea of creating safe spaces and wanting to be a support for another and seeking out those safe people for ourselves as well where we can be heard, where we can listen, where we can attune to what's going on in our body and our nervous system what's bubbling up that might need some time and attention and for us to do some work to resolve it. If we don't do this work, it will keep trying to come up and get louder and get more triggering and and cause us to be more reactive or the opposite, which is to shut down and be numb and not be present in our relationships to not be aware, and then we have nothing to offer the people around us. So consider how much of an investment it is when we do this work, how important it is that we take the time to bring healing and insight and understanding and self-awareness. We don't want to be on either extreme of walling people off and shutting down and not being able to engage. And we also don't want to be on the other extreme of being explosive or reactive or um, putting too much on someone else. So doing this work together is absolutely life-giving and worthwhile. And I so um, encourage you to be on this journey of healing and growth and joining us on community roots is a great way to do that. And we're always talking about mental health and things that can be practical and usable and just welcoming you into the community and the conversation so you can continue to heal and grow yourselves just as we are with you. At the end of reading this book, The Heart of Trauma, this week, I reached out to Bonnie Badnock, and I'm delighted that she responded um, and just was very kind and affirming in expressing um, her own tenderness and gratitude for the work um, itself and offering a warm hug. And I just am so grateful to Bonnie and just wanted to reach out to express that gratitude for her and for her work in this world. She just turned 80 this year. And, um, at the time of writing this book would have been 75. So what a great encouragement that we have so much to offer with our life and, um, to keep, keep on um, reaching out to have a positive influence in this world that we can bring light and hope and healing to one another. So Bonnie, if you happen to listen to this at any point, um, we do thank you so much for who you are and, and the impact that you've had on so many lives. 
And for all of you listening today, thank you for joining me and keep spreading the word about Community Roots and rate and rate and review us and share us so that we can expand our reach and help others to feel less alone and more supported, more seen and heard and understood. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. <music>